You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to the Skylight Books Crowdcast channel. We are very excited to be here tonight with Julio Anta and Pornsak P. Shetchot. Before I introduce them to you, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Hallie. I'm the events manager at Skylight. Um, For those of you who don't know Skylight Books, we are a general independent bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. And now without Further ado, it is my very great pleasure to introduce first Pornsack Pichetchot. Pornsack was a Thai American rising star editor at DC's Vertigo imprint, where he worked on comics perennials such as Sandman and Swamp Thing, as well as award winning New York Times bestsellers. His comic book debut as writer, Infidel, was a critical and commercial hit, as well as being optioned for a feature film by TriStar Pictures. His next book, The Good Asian, The Good Asian, has launched to multiple sellouts and has been featured on 20 plus best of the year lists, including Entertainment Weekly, Variety, and Fortune magazine. As a TV writer, his work includes Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform, Two Sentence Horror Stories, Light as a Feather, and the upcoming Green Lantern on HBO Max. Julio Anta is a writer based in New York City. Raised in Miami in a Cuban and Colombian family, Julio strives to tell narratively rich stories about diverse and empowered Latinx characters for readers of all ages. His debut comic book series, Home, began publication in 2021, courtesy of Image Comics. Forthcoming work includes Frontera, a YA graphic novel from Harper Alley, and Si Se Puede, a nonfiction graphic novel from Ten Speed Press. Please join me in giving them a huge virtual welcome to the stage. Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. Yeah. Hey, Julio. It's so funny. Hey. Whenever, whenever they ask you to send me, to send over those bios, you like send them along and, you, and then you remember, it's like, oh, right, they read them while yeah. you have to awkwardly <laughs> listen to yourself being I, introduced. I was thinking I, I need to lengthen my bio. Yours, uh, <laughs> I need yours to shorten my bio. That's, <laughs> that's, that's like, oh, my God, it keeps going and going and going. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, thank you, Julio, for uh, letting me, for asking me to do this. So of course, uh, thanks for doing I, it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the book and, and all that. And I kind of, kind of remember, it, and I tell this all the time to people when they talk about books and like, like you know, how to pitch a book and all that sort of stuff. And I always sort of say, um, you know, you have your pitch when you can pitch your book in a tweet. Like, that when you can pitch your book in a tweet, that's when you have like a rock solid pitch. And so much of it is like narrowing it down. And yeah. I remember like, you're such a great example of that. Cause I remember hearing about your book in a tweet. I think it was probably an image tweet with some, with some graphics. And as soon as I heard it, I was sold. And, and I'm not quite arrogant enough to pitch your book back to you. So I'm going <laughs> to probably ask you to do it. But, sure. but then I'm also really curious to see like, where this, where did it, the idea come from? Like, did the, did that pitch, did that like the, the germ of that tweet start first and it grew from there? Or was it something that you had a bigger thing in mind and you kind of whittled it down to how you eventually pitched it? Sure, yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kind of give the elevator pitch for the book first. Um, book's called Home. Uh, like Hallie mentioned, you can order it now from uh, oh. Skylight. This is the, this is the trade. 
Uh, it has the <laughs> has the five issues in it and an educator guide as well um, that is good for middle school and up. Um, and you know the book is a story about a young boy who is separated from his mother at the U.S.-Mexico border during the zero tolerance policy. Um, and through all of the stresses that he's going through in his life, um, he starts manifesting these superhuman abilities. Um, and then he has to learn how to deal with them and how to get back to his mother who he's been separated with while also being hunted by the federal government. Um, so, so that's kind of the longer, uh, the, the longer pitch of it. Um, but, um, you know, this is a book that like that came about from watching the news, you know, like a lot of people in the spring of 2018, um, when we all learned about the zero tolerance uh, family separation policy at the border, um, I was horrified like a lot of people. Um, for me, it was it felt even more personal as the son of a Cuban exile, um, the grandson of undocumented immigrants from Colombia. Um, and growing up in Miami, which is this huge immigrant community from Latin America, um, I felt like I was seeing something that I personally hadn't seen before. Um, and, you know, this country obviously has, you know, a long history of treating, you know, immigrants, anybody that can be classified as an other uh, horribly from obviously slavery to Japanese internment to uh, Latin American immigrants at the border. Um, but for me, this kind of felt like a new low, you know, um, using the separating of families as a cruel form of deterrence at the border. Um, because that's that's ultimately what it was, you know, that uh, family separation wasn't advertised ahead of time. It wasn't uh, really planned much at all. It just, it was a, a switch that was flipped through executive order one day. Um, and then that sent a message to all people who might seek asylum in the US, which is a legal process, uh, to not come, you know, to say that you're not welcome here and we might separate you from your family uh, if you do that. So, um, you know, seeing that was just a really heartbreaking uh, moment for me. Um, you know, we'd been living through a year of the Trump administration at that point. So I was already really angry. Um, and that just felt like a new level to me. Um, and so I kind of like, as this weird form of coping, I started just, I guess, consuming as much news and information about what was happening at the border. Um, and along through that process, I eventually got the idea for home. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget, I was waiting, I, I live in New York, waiting for the train, um, for the subway, and listening to a podcast on my headphones of this mother who um, didn't know where her child was. And, you know, through the help of an NGO, they end up finding out that her kid, she, they were separated in Arizona. The kid was shipped all the way to the Bronx to a foster uh, care center there. Um, and with the help of the NGO, she finally tracked him down, got on the phone with him. Um, and on the phone, and this is, a, this is something that we turn into a scene in the book, um, in the third issue, she's telling him, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for bringing you. If I knew that this was going to happen, I would have never done it. Um, and, you know, these are people trying to escape desperate situations. So to say that I would have never brought you to this country, despite how bad it is where we came from, you know, that that was a really powerful thing for me. Um, so thinking about home, it was really, you know, a way for me to turn 
this really horrible situation, these horrible feelings that I was feeling and try to make it into something that, you know, had some optimism to it, um, that gave these characters agency over their lives because, you know, Juan, the main character in the book, he has no control over what's happening in his life. Um, you know, it's all on the whims of, you know, these federal officials um, and this new policy. So, so that's pretty much where, where the idea came from. I'm curious, uh, when you talk about it that way, about wanting the need to give your characters agency and, and, and the, the inspiration sort of for it, I'm really curious at what part of the process did the genre element come in? Was there ever a moment where you considered doing this without sort of the genre piece? Did it come very quickly? Did you find it as a, an easy, uh, you know, as easy tool to, to explore certain aspects of the experience where did it where did it happen as you were kind of contemplating the the, the the trying to figure out your attack on the subject yeah i mean it came pretty pretty early on um because you know for me i see kind of the genesis of the superhero story or the superhero mythos um coming from the immigrant experience you know we see it in superman obviously yeah. um but it's something that that we don't see much now at all you know um mm. You know, obviously, uh, all racial and ethnic minorities in the U.S. are vastly underrepresented in media, um, but Latino people, Hispanic people are even less. You know, mm -hmm. we make up almost 20% of the U.S.'s population and like 3% of on-screen representation on yeah. movies and TV. Um, and I would say in comics, it's probably even worse. Yeah. You know, we very rarely see Latino characters. Um, you know, it was only 10 years ago that we got Miles Morales. Right. Um, and even, you know, in the independent space, like that's not something that we see very often. Um, but I so I always had like that desire to see, um, you know, a Hispanic Latino person with superhuman abilities. Um, but for this, I really wanted to kind of thread that needle of, you know, superhero as a parallel to the immigrant experience and bring it to something that was happening, you know, in people's lives today. Mm. I'm curious, and after this, I swear we will get to uh, pitching pitching books and, and the, the reason why everyone tuned in. No. But um, I'm curious though, you know, did you, like, what were your, you know, when I'm working on a book, whether it's Infidel or The Good Asian, there's a couple things I keep close to my desk to kind of like as little touchstones, as reminders mm -hmm. of, you know, partly of the genre, partly of sort of, you know, my North Star in terms of trajectory or targets to hit. Like, were there any other comics or novels that kind of like, you know, helped inspire you, but also kind of like, you know, kind of focus you in terms of like, this is my plan of attack for this particular, for this particular book? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I do that too. Uh, but for this book, I didn't really have much of that. Interesting. Um, for this book, it was a lot of research. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of reading local news articles um, mm. coming out of Arizona and out of Texas. Um, it was listening to a lot of podcasts, watching YouTube clips of, okay. you know, local news coverage, interviews um, of what was happening during this time. And then also just like digging into um, the history of U.S. immigration laws. Mm. Um, a lot of it I was not familiar with. Mm. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm from Miami. Uh, Cuban and Colombian American. Uh, my father came here when he was five as a Cuban exile. It's a very, you know, I don't want to make it sound like a walk in the park, but comparative right. to other, you know, uh, other nationalities, it's a really privileged, um, you know, migration process into the U.S. Mm. You know, for a long time, as long as you made it, you set foot on the U.S., 
and you were Cuban, you were set. You know, you would get set up for for staying here permanently, and there was no risk of deportation. Um, so for me, growing up around all of these people who mostly came from that Cuban American background, um, you know, I wasn't really aware of all the different you know policies and laws um, yeah. and programs that were made to bring people in and then rip them apart when we didn't need their their resources anymore. Um, so for me, it was a lot of, you know, learning for the first time how things worked at the border and how they had now changed um, with this new executive order uh, of family separation. Um, but, you know, I also grew up on comics. So I grew up on, on manga. I grew mm. up on anime. Um, and then I found North American, you know, direct market comics afterwards um mm. so you know i i still have that base of like you know reading and watching dragon ball z you know which i think some of it kind of comes yeah. through in some of these characters um and also you know reading you know big marvel event stories and reading spider-man and you know superman and all these different characters so you know what you mentioned earlier, I've done, I've had that process for other books, but for this one, it just felt so, you know, out of, you know, there's no, I don't have a comp for this, you know, right, a lot right. of times when you're pitching, they're like, it's this meets that. Um, yeah. And I didn't really have that for this book. Right. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. Well, speaking yeah. of sort of for this book and putting it together and also like, you know, the, 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 how we build the show and, and all that. Um, I, I, I yeah. did want to sort of talk about, because I'm so grateful you asked me to do this because one of my ongoing guilts is I get DM'd all the time with people asking me, how do I get my book published at Image? How do I get publishing? Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, I'm sure you get it too. Like if you answer yeah. one, it feels like you have to answer them all. And then that's your day and that's your week and that's your life pretty much. So I'm mm -hmm. really grateful to have the chance to sort of talk to you as sort of a research of how sort of people can kind of do this. And I know that you have like an interesting start because I guess you've told me before, you started with sort of shorts that you put online. Is, is that about right? Yeah, yeah. I started with, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it a little further back. Sure. Um, you know, the idea to write home was what kicked off me oh, wanting to write comics. Um, interesting. You know, I, yeah, I, I hadn't written any comics. I hadn't thought okay. about writing comics beyond, you know, that thought that I think most comic readers have at some point where they're mm -hmm. like, you know, I think I could write this, you know, right. like, but beyond that, there wasn't any action behind it. Um, and then I had this idea for home and I was like, I got to make this, you know, I have to figure mm. out how to make this. Um, and then it really just turned into this whole like research project almost for me, mm. you know, of how are comics in the direct market published? Um, how do you pitch them? Like what, what, is, what are, what are publishers looking for in pitches? Um, you know, what's the business of it? So for me, it was a lot of just like researching, you know, to write the book. It was a lot of listening to podcast interviews, you know, with creators um, and publishers and just reading everything that I could to figure it out. Um, reading uh, Brian Michael Bendis's book was a big thing mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's called Words with Pictures. Words for yeah. Pictures. Yeah, I got it right. There it is. There you go. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, it's the first like textbook on writing like modern, you yeah. know, American direct market comics. Um which I think it's it's important also, but like before we have this conversation to say that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about American direct market comics um, because there's also the book market, um, which I, I work in also, but it's a totally different process where, you know, it pretty much requires having an agent, 
Um, and it's also, frankly, a much more organized process. Yeah. Um, where you do get feedback pretty quickly and find out from publishers, you know, within a month whether or not they want to publish your book. Um, whereas with, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, it, it, you know, the direct market comics is interesting because in the one sense because you don't need an agent is a little bit more egalitarian but Mm -hmm. on the other hand it is complete chaos and yeah (laughs) um, which I'm sure you can speak to no definitely um you know there's there's publishers that reached answered my email months after image you know made their offer (laughs) yeah you know um and then and one of them this is just a quick aside was like why didn't you tell us you wasted our time It's like, what do you mean? I, I like, I sent a cold email six months ago, and you never responded. Yeah. Um, but That's anyway, very so, common to have pitches sit for like a year, and then and then people yeah. are like, "What? You gave this to me?" Yeah. <laughs> but you know, so for me, like the first step to getting published was wrapping my arms around the concept of how to pitch. What is the business of it? How does image work? How is image different from? you know, any other publisher, any other uh, creator or publisher. Um, so for me, um, I kind of started doing short stories. I saw a lot of creators advocating for that on Twitter. Um, you know, instead of starting with your big opus um, as a new writer, it's better to just invest in, you know, get a little money together, write some scripts and pay artists to, you know, create illustrate these, you know, four to 10 page uh, short stories for you. Um, So that's what I did between, you know, the summer of 2020 and 2021, I put out five short mini comics online from four to 10 pages each. Um, And these are comics that I literally just reached out to artists um, and asked them, you know, what's your page rate? Here's the script that I've already written. Is it something you're interested in? Um, and then we kind of went from there. And once it was completed, I just posted it on Twitter uh, for free and on my website for free. And the idea was, let's get it out there. Let's see if people are connecting with the kind of writing that I'm passionate about and the kinds of topics that I want to talk about, um, which was kind of like almost like a beta test for what yeah. a home would become. Um, and then also ultimately use it as proof that, yes, I'm a new writer. I've never had a book out. But here's all these shorts that I've been able to put out online for free that you can read. You can see that I can follow through with a project. Um, and you know that they're, you know, I, I guess sub- subjectively from my perspective, good, I guess. Right, right. Um, so so that's where I started. Um, and I think I recommend that for anyone. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a good way to just get your feet wet, start meeting people. I yeah. met tons of comic creators just through you know people that are published that i became friends with and i was able to ask questions with uh so to, let, while doing this so let me ask um you know because just as like people manage people's expectations on sort of how this works so like where did you find your artists were that was it on instagram had they already published comics I, and i'm also curious that like how many of them responded how many did any of them flake like because that's also a really oh, common yeah. thing when dealing with this stuff yeah so um so I'll say this first, uh, a little plug. If you go to my website, julioanta.com, um, and you go to mini comics, you can read all five of them there for free still. Um, but my first one uh, called Agent Mejia, uh, that one, I I went on Reddit. Um, there's a subreddit called uh, Comic Book Collabs, I think. 
Um, and I put out kind of like a little, like the old newspaper ad kind of style thing. Mm -hmm. You know, here's my log line. Uh, I'm looking for an artist that can do maybe just like inks and gray tones over it. Um, and it's 10 pages. Who, like, is anybody interested in seeing the script? Um, and I had a few people reach out. The first person that I, that I, you know, hired to do it, did the first page and totally just flaked and disappeared off. Mm. Um, and that Which happened. Is so common. My, oh yeah, totally. I mean, these are, you know, these are strangers on the internet, you know, yeah. who you have no relationship to. Yeah. Um, and you're also, you know, to give them credit also, you're also a random writer, yeah. you know, who has no artistic talent, um, you know, trying to get your first story out there. So, yeah. you know, it's not a particularly attractive thing for them either. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I had, he flaked the artist that I, that I tried to use, uh, initially for my second mini comic also flaked. Um, but, but then I found people, um, on Twitter, uh, one of the, one of the things that was super effective for me early on was searching the hashtag comic jobs. Um, mm. and through that finding, um, other posts that people made already that was like, sure. Hey, I'm looking for an artist for whatever. You know, you and I, we both see it all the time on Twitter. Um, yeah. And then going through all the artists that replied and seeing, does any of this kind of match what I would like to do for my story? Um, and if it does, just just reach out, email them, DM them. Um, you know, I feel like now more than ever, we've kind of, um, you know, uh, made it, you know, we've kind of like leveled some of the scales of like how yeah. to get in. Um, because you can easily find people that are at your level or a little above your level um, that will that are, might be willing to work with you, you know. So like my my main suggestion is to do that. Find people using hashtags on Twitter, Instagram, um, and then pay them because at the yeah. end of the day, like people are way less likely to flake if you pay them. And also, you know, that you're they're taking a risk working with you. So, you know, the best thing to do is just pay them for their work. Um, and then hopefully you both come out with work that you're proud of. What I love about what you just said is that you just described the experience of going to multiple conventions, meeting freelancers, going to Artist Alley, and you did it without leaving your home. Like, yeah. you know, you, you know, and, and because that is everyone kind of has the same story and that's how they make mm -hmm. comics. They, you know, so much of making comics. And I say this all the time that like, I don't know how to tell I don't know how, if someone, if you're interested in making a comic, I don't actually know what advice to give you. I know the advice to give you if you're interested in being a comic book creator. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how you can just do a hit it and quit it and then go. I know how you can like have this be part of your life and having this yeah. be part of your life means interfacing with the community, which is a fantastic community. And I, what I love about what you just said is that you don't have to spend all this money on plane tickets. And like, cause I'm, I'm actually curious, like since home came out, like how many conventions have you even gone to at this point? Um, so I, I went to, and when we talk about like actually pitching home, we'll talk more about this. Um, but my first comic convention ever was New York comic-con 2019. Right. And okay. I, I went there specifically to try to cold pitch home to publishers, Interesting. Um, which is a very humiliating experience, yeah. um, <laughs> as well, it should be, to be honest. Like if I was one of these editors, you know? Um, it's a it's a fascinating thing that people expect like oh it's a con and I think back in the day this used to be the case but people expect conventions or the place to sort of pitch sort of a work and if yeah. you're an artist maybe you can like show your portfolio sure, there yeah. but mm -hmm. for writers every editor is so burnt out 
They've been mm -hmm. out drinking till four in the morning. They're there with three hours sleep. The last thing they want to use is their critical faculties. So it's the yeah. worst time to actually approach them. Um, and it's also but, New York Comic Con. It's not yeah. like a little Comic Con, right. you know. Um, but since then, I went to the first New York Comic Con that came back. Um, and I went to Flame Con uh, in okay. New York, which is a much smaller convention um, uh, in 2019. But that's it. So I guess I've been to yeah. three. That's and fascinating. I've, I've, I've done way more virtual convention panels that, than I've done. But that person. is honestly the most reassuring thing I've heard about, yeah. you know, about creators like just in their homes trying to make comics. The fact that you did that by only going to three conventions because so much of the tools are there online at this point. Yeah. So, and now I know the way image works is that you have to kind of put sort of a packet together. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what I did for my book, Infidel. You know, I found and it, it was easier for me because as a former comic book editor, I could kind of reach out and get recommendations from artists and, and all that. I assume that you found your your artist Anna Weinscheck from uh, through the process that you did with all your short stories from yeah. was it a case of did she have to do I'm, I'm curious what your pitch packet looked like yeah so my pitch packet incidentally looked a lot like your infidel pitch packet because i bought the trade um thank you before <laughs> the I, had even, yeah, I appreciate before, the sale <laughs> i bought it just as a fan so this is pre deciding that i wanted to write a comic oh, cool. um and i remember when i was reading it the first time i saw the pitch in the back and i was like oh this is cool kind of like behind the scenes um but i didn't think anything else of it until i started deciding until i decided that i was going to make my own series that i wanted to pitch to you know image was really like you know the biggest dream but i you know i was convinced that it wouldn't ever work there you know um because it was my first book um so then I remembered your pitch that was an infidel. I went back, I looked at that. Um, and I also took a class. Um, I think we're, you're friends with Alex Segura also. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he works at Oni now. He's been yeah. all over the place. Um, but he taught an online class. Oh, cool. Um, maybe it must have been in 2019 because this is before I pitched Image um, where uh, where you could where you learn how to it's like two weeks um and uh it's all online you learn how to pitch a comic um so you learn cool. what a pitch package should look like mm. so he there's there's lessons but then there's also a sort of um you know peer group review portion of it also interesting um where everybody in the group is is giving notes including obviously alex giving you notes on on your pitch um and to me that was super helpful you know um that was one of my first introductions to what a log line was. Sure. Um, which to me, which is what it's what you mentioned about the tweet that you saw image post. Yeah. Like for me, the log line um, comes first. You know, it's yeah. one of these like old school, like save the cat kind of things, you know, where in that book, he, he says that's like the first thing before you start writing, um, you know, you need a one sentence explanation that hooks readers in. Um, and then use that to guide your story, you yeah. know? Um, so for my pitches, I start with a log line. Um, I then have credits for who's doing the book, all the creators. And then I have a one page high concept, um, maybe mm. like three to four paragraphs um, that really essentially, it's, it's pretty much the first issue, you know? And it teases it, it doesn't spoil anything. Mm. Um, it just gives you the vibe of the book. Um, if you have comps, it says the comps. It says what audience it's for. Um, you know, that one page for me, I, I, I look at my pitches as every page is trying to get the publisher to keep reading to the next page. 
Um, so, you know, it's, and it's the same thing on a single page log lines first. And then if I can get them to be hooked on the log line, then they'll read the high concept. And I need to get them then to my full outline, which Mm. is usually a couple pages. And that's where I spoil the whole book. Yeah. Um, you know, I do an issue by issue breakdown because this was a mini series, um, for a longer book like yours. I don't know if you did a full outline for the whole thing. Um, but maybe the first arc I think is what most people will do. Um, and, and that just felt, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just saying that just tells the publisher exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I think for both of my books, I want to say, I think the infidel pitch was in total two pages. And then for the good Asian, it's, it was a two page synopsis of the 10 issue sort of series. I, I much similar to you, I am very modular with my thinking. So I have my, my cover sheet is a pitch document. It starts with the log line. It goes into the concept. I think it talks about characters. Mm -hmm. Then it talks about the, the audience. And then I think it's sort of a bio and who we are. And then the following pages tends to be story. And I, and I did, and I broke it down that way because as of my, um, as my experience as an editor, one of the things I found is that, and, and no writer likes to hear this, but in a lot of ways, the story is almost the last thing that you want to read as an editor, mm-hmm. because the story in a weird way is the math, is this is how I'm going to, how I am going to execute everything I promise. And so, so much the cover page is there what I'm promising. And yeah. it taught, and it's meant, and that thing, it's modular in such a way so that it is meant to tell the, ed- the editor who's overworked and underpaid, these are the things that you need to convince your boss of why we should publish it. And then the story pages are almost, this is how I'm gonna execute all the things I promise you in a way that still has a little bit of class and integrity. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so I have a very similar sort of process to you, to you in that case. I, I, I am curious too, did you have sample pages yes. or, or design sketches when you pitched the image? Yeah, so when I pitched Home in particular, um, the first page was actually the cover of the first issue, which is the cover okay. of the trade. Um, okay. So uh, I had, and and now this isn't something that I do anymore with my pitches moving forward, um, because I try to, you know, especially when you're working like in a creator-owned situation where yeah. you and your and your artists are co-creators and you're all essentially working on spec until you sell right. the book. Um, I try to put this least amount of burden on the artist. Um, but for the home pitch, I had the cover of the first issue with the logo already on it okay. um, that I had paid uh, to be designed. And then um, we had eight completed sample pages, mm. which is also the first eight pages of the of the first issue. Um, it doesn't have to be the first pages. I'm I've done pitches now where... You know, it's kind of like the hook of the book um, and not necessarily, you know, the, the setup, you know, the first yeah. eight pages. Um, but but yeah, so we, we definitely had sample pages. Um, I think that's one of the most important parts of the book because it shows them what it's going to look like yeah. exactly. Um, and I know for image, that's a that's a huge thing. You know, they want you to have sample pages, but also sample pages where every single person that is on your creative team yeah. is on these pages. You know, they don't want you to switch up the color or the letter yeah. later on. Um, but but yeah, so we, we had those eight sample pages. That's cool. That's really cool. So now once you had that pitch document together, about how many pages would you say it was total? Um, it was so uh, cover, high concept page, a character page, two um, synopsis pages, 
and then they ate uh so 13 pages total okay 13 pages total and then okay so did you now the process came about you pitching it to publishers how did it work for you did you say hey i'm going to give someone an exclusive window did you go all at once because like you say you know, mm-hmm. publishers can take years to get back to you, especially in yeah. comics. So it gets a little bit confusing of like, well, how how do I want to handle this? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because that, that brings me back to the book market really quick yeah. where uh, you were, I do exclusive windows with my agent okay. for, you know, a publisher that I've worked with already. I want to work with them again. Hey, here's the full pitch. Get back to us in two weeks and tell us if you want it. Um, in the direct market, I don't, pers- I personally haven't had that experience. Um, so when I decided that, you know, the pitch was done, I was done polishing it Honest pages were done. They were colored and lettered. Um, I just started, so that brings me back to the comic-con story. I went to New York city comic-con in 2019, mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, I had my list of editors that I thought would be a good fit for home based off of the other books that they had credits on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started kind of, you know, on Google images, matching the faces to the names to try to like find the person at the booth um, and just started approaching them and said like, hey, I have this pitch I'd love to share with you um, is like, what's the best way to show it, to share it with you? And they're like, oh, tell me a little bit about it. I, that's mm-hmm. usually like the natural response yeah. to that. Um, and I told them, and I also like had an iPad with the pitch on it, um, and offered to email it. Um, and most of the people, honestly, um, and I don't hold it against them at all, um, really just like listened and nodded and then said it was too political for them, you know, or like, you know, I, we're not really picking up books right now, even though I knew that they were because of other friends I had. Sure. Um, <laughs> but eventually, um, it led me to, um, to, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this entire story, but uh, it led me to the to the image booth to talk mm. to Elena Salcedo from Top Cow. Okay. Um, she was one of those people that I wanted to pitch. Um, and, and most people hearing this that are familiar with Top Cow will think like that it doesn't make sense. Why were you pitching Top Cow? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I didn't really have that awareness at the time. Sure. Um, but it ended up being like my in to, mm. you know, image proper. Um, because she loved the pitch, mm. um, and she wanted me to. Sh- she wanted to share it w- with Eric at Image. Um, she actually tried to find him, like in that moment, to show oh, him. Cool. That's how enthusiastic she was about it. Um, but he wasn't around, so she just said, "Like, hey, email it to me. I'm going to forward it to him." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's how it happened, you know. Um, and then one day, um, I got a single email from Eric saying that they were down for it and they wanted to publish it. That's so, so cool. So that that's my story. It's not really like easy to replicate, um, sure. but but you know, like for me, I think it it kind of speaks to like, um, you know, like the hustle of like pitching things, um, and also being ready because like I could have yeah. showed it to Elena and it could it may not have been good enough, it may not have looked professional enough, and yeah. that would have been the end of the the story, you know. Um, I love so, your yeah. story because it's also such a great sort of like working example of almost a, like the serial killer type of obsession it takes <laughs> to kind of attack what attack a publisher and get them and 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 and, and, and to sort of just get your book published. And I think it's really, really great because it really does sort of take yeah. that focus and sort of all that homework as well. So now after image, the place like image happens, um, I'm really curious because I think everyone does it slightly differently. Uh, mm-hmm what to you what were the big tools to sort of promote your work because you know image does 
it, image does a great job sort of prom prom promoting, but I've also known from experience that, you know, image works best as sort of a, as a, as a, as a speaker, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amplifier. So like whatever noise you put out there, they do really uh, do a really great job amplifying that noise to a much greater level. Uh, if you don't, if, the less you put in, the less they're able to work with. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious how, like, what were the models, the modes that you used to sort of like promote your book? Yeah. So, so the context of, of the book coming out. So I mentioned this is uh, New York Comic Con 2019. So this yep. is like October, November, 2019. Um, they end up, you know, saying we're 100% going to do this in February, 2020. Okay. We're a month away from the pandemic happening. Yeah. Um, and then the book, for those of you who are familiar with it, the first issue doesn't come out until April, 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and not because we weren't ready. It's because, you know, obviously image shut, everybody shut down yeah. and then all these books that were going to launch got pushed back. Um, so what my answer is going to be in the context of the pandemic. Sure. Um, so there was two things. There was there's an online component and there's an in-person component okay. to it. Um, now, when I when I uh, was thinking about launching this book pre-pandemic, um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about going to you know reaching out to comic shops. I live in New York. Um, you know, reaching out to comic shops within an hour, two-hour drive, and offering to do as many signings as people will have me. You know, me, someone who it's my first book, yeah. not as not that attractive for them, mm. but you know, just like willing to, you know, put the work out to get the word out for the book. Um, that obviously doesn't happen because of the pandemic. But what I did start doing is I reached out um, before FOC. Mm -hmm. I reached out to every single comic book shop in New York City, which mm. we have a lot of them, you know, from the big yeah. ones like Midtown Comics um, to really small, you know, local mom and pop shops. Um, and I told them that, you know, comics come out on Wednesday. I will be there on Monday, on Tuesday, whenever you get your diamond shipment, and I will sign every single copy of the book that you order. Um, and that to me, I think was super effective because we That's saw orders in those shops, like just anecdotally from what they said, and yeah. then also what I got from images like metrics, sure. we, shall, we saw those numbers just skyrocket. Yeah. Um, and every single one of those shops on that Monday or Tuesday that I went in and signed the copies that they had, uh, posted about it on their social medias. That's cool. Um, to tell people like, hey, if you come in and you buy this book home, it'll be signed on the rack for you. Mm. Um, so for me, that was, I think that was like a big, a big incentive. Um, obviously, that's only shops in New York City. Sure. Um, you know, so there's a there's a limit to how effective that is. Mm -hmm. um, but then the online component was I went on I went on comicbookroundup.com. Mm. Um, and I use that as like a, um, a directory mm. for who reviews comic books. Right. Um, and then I also went, I, I used, I used titles that were, you know, similar in a way infidel was one of them, mm. um, where I looked up infidel and I looked who were all the people who reviewed infidel. That's interesting. That's um, interesting. because I, I figured like, okay, this is a book that, you know, deals with social issues. If somebody is willing to review it and enjoy it and review it well, um, then maybe they're willing to take a chance on this mm. book that is admittedly, you know, political, um, mm -hmm. and they're not just going to brush it off. Um, right, right, right. So I use books like that, um, uh, books like Miles Morales um, comics, um, and a bunch of other stuff. And I built a spreadsheet for myself that was just mm. a directory of what's the website, what's the name of the reviewer. 
I just like, if their email wasn't, you know, easily found, I mm. looked on their Twitter to see if mm -hmm. I could find their email. Um, I, I use this weird program that pulls emails out of LinkedIn accounts. Oh, wow. Uh, and I just like built this database um, to then, you know, create an email that was like two paragraphs long, really short, right. that said like, hey, this is the pitch for my book. Here's a, a PDF to download it. Um, and here's when it comes out, um, if you're interested in doing a review and then also invited them, like, and if you're really interested and you want to do an interview too, I'd love to do that as well. Um, and I just like sent off all these emails to people. Um, Did you do that before, after FOC, which for people who aren't in the comics biz, that's final order cutoff, which is pretty much where the, where all your orders uh, have to kind of come in and then they set your print run with orders that come in before then. And I'm, but having said that, that's usually three weeks before the actual issue comes out. So I'm curious, did you do your outreach before that final order cutoff date where they, where stores could still order more or was it after that? It was before. Um, okay. But also like I tried to do, have like this sweet spot um, where I did mm -hmm. it like six weeks before the, the issue it. came out. Okay. Um, because I, at the time I didn't know like what the pipeline was for sure. reviews. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. now now also like most publishers like image they send out all of their um all of their their issues every week to reviewers yeah. um but it's easy to get lost in that so like i yeah. literally had some people responding to me saying you know oh image is going to send it to me but thanks for giving me the heads up i'm definitely going to review it That's um, so, interesting. so so you know like right now if you go on comic book roundup and you look a poem for that first issue, you'll see we had a huge amount of places that reviewed it. Mm. Um, and I think that that, because they usually come out like a day or two, like the Monday right. or Tuesday before the issue comes out. Yeah. Um, I think that contributed to selling out on the first day um, and triggering that reprint for us, which was then a new headline and press yeah. release that could go out. Um, so for me, I, I, I kind of just like built this thing for myself that didn't exist and then use that as a way to market it um right and then i kept using it for every issue especially mm. the people that did review it um i thought like i thanked them for reviewing it obviously and then said oh here's issue two if you want to read it right now um cool. and then there's people who reviewed every single all five issues yeah throughout the entire run um so for me that was a big way of promoting it but then also the last part of it was reaching out to people like you um mm. other comic creators that I respect and who I think other people respect. Um, and I sent you the the first issue. Yeah. I sent you the first three issues maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Asked you uh, like to just read it. And then when you said that you were into it, I asked you for a pull quote um, and you very graciously sent that. So um, that was something that I could post on social media also um, and that image could use to promote it. So right. I think that was a big thing also to just like, you know, expose people who follow you that have no idea yeah. who I am to to the book for the first time. That's so cool. That's so, so cool. Um, I have a ton of other questions. I know that it's around now that we promised to open things up to a Q&A. So, uh, so, but if no one has questions, I will, I will selfishly ask mine. Um, we have a great question from Peter. Um, but just one question so far. So if anyone else has questions, ask them now. This um, has been an incredibly valuable resource for um, comic book creators. So I just want to quickly say thank you. Um, okay. So he's asking with the eight sample pages you had, did you pay the art team out of your own pocket for them to do the sample pages? And then 
Do you sign a contract slash agreement with them that you and the artist are 50-50 co-creators if the project gets published? Um, so I guess what's kind yeah. of the breakdown of that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, every situation is different. Um, but yeah, for that for that book, because it was my first book ever, um, I did pay everybody out of my own pocket. Um, and then, um, and we didn't, you know, when I, when I think of the order of events, I don't think we signed anything until, um, until the, we, we had the deal from image. Um, but we did have like, in principle, we had, you know, through email decided what the arrangement was going to be. Um, but now, you know, I think that maybe one more pitch I paid out of pocket to do the sample pages. Um, but then, you know, the really nice thing once you're published, especially by a publisher like like Image, um, you know, there's kind of like a, a credibility that gets added to that, where if you, and you also at that point have met a lot of artists um, that maybe really liked your book already and are interested in working with you. Um, and the burden of like the financial burden gets taken off of you and you both, like I mentioned earlier, just decide like, all right, we're both gonna work on this on spec. Um, and then if it if a publisher is interested and we sell it, um, then we'll both be you know 50-50 co-creators on it. Um, but for for your first stuff, like that's probably the best way to go about it to just pay out of pocket. I'm gonna do a follow-up quickly to that before anyone else asks any more questions. Um, when you got Anna's art, uh, you're, you have a great, a, fan, a fantastic team sort of uh, you know, working working with you guys, you got Brian Valenza on colors. You got Hassan Otsman Elhow on letters. Um, mm -hmm. Did they come from Anna? Did they come from you? Like, how did you bring your team together? Uh, they all came from me. So, um, okay. you know, Hassan, for example, he lettered all of my mini comics that I talked ah, about before. Okay. So he was already somebody that um, that I, you know, kind of had in my back pocket that wow. I could always reach out to um, and pay him to to letter my books. Um, Brian was someone that I I don't remember what book it was, but I ran into his colors reading a book. Uh, mm -hmm. reading another comic and I love them and I thought that they would be a great fit for Anna's art um, and if you look at the book I think you know it adds another level there I feel like they're both leveling each other up in this yeah. book um, and he's somebody I just cold emailed or yeah I think I cold emailed him um, That's so cool. and and just reached out to him so I kind of you know again like I said first book first pitch I really took on the burden of yeah. you know assembling the team you know, paying everybody their rates um, so they wouldn't feel like they were taking a big risk on me. Um, but but then, you know, things change, you know, generally you are paying a color and a letter all the time, you know, up front. Um, but, but, you know, the, now things have changed. Um, I have artists that I've worked with multiple times now um, that we just love working with each other. And yeah. we know, you know, that we can both trust each other to just work on this and then see if any publishers are interested. The thing I love that you said too is that it, it's something I've been talking about forever and it's great to sort of watch people do it is that you really do kind of have an indie filmmaker's sort of like perspective on sort of making comics and part of that is you know as a comic book writer you're kind in a w weird way you're acting like an indie film director which mm -hmm. also means you have to be a producer as well and yeah. it also means in your particular case you have to be an editor as well so you're you are putting people together you're seeing like oh this person would be really good with this artist and sort of you know synthesizing all that stuff also I'm like so impressed you got Haas that early for your mini comics. Cause like, yeah. I love his work and he's like one of the best guys. He's, best in the, he's in the, the best. I, I literally yeah. haven't used 
anyone else. The only yeah, time why why is, would you? Why would you need? Yeah, that? the only time my work has been lettered by someone else is the Marvel book that I did because sure. they have their own thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he's my go-to person. He's a yeah, great, great letterer, and he's great to work with too. He's such a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, I love that. Um, that also what I'm getting from this is that you just have to go for it. You just have yeah. to like put yeah. any like any hesitancy aside and just like send those emails, reach out to people. Um, I love that. Uh, another question from John L who says, what was the name of the two week comic writing class you mentioned? Oh, yeah. And I'll Good open question. that up maybe and just say, are there other classes or teachers or anything you would recommend? Um, yeah, so it's Alex Segura. I'll um, I'll just put it in the chat just so people know how to spell it. Um, and it was a it was a comic pitching class. Um, so it really didn't focus at all on how to write comics. It was focused on how to write a pitch um, that is attractive to publishers and that looks professional. You know, because if you're an editor like Pornsack, you were an editor. Um, you know, there's you can tell who knows what they're doing. Um, and not just format, because everybody might have a different format, but just like getting the information that needs to be in that um, across to the editor. Um, but as far as other other resources, I would say uh, the book that Pornstack showed um, by Brian Michael Bendis is a great like first thing to read about learning how to you know write comics and work in comics. Um, it might be a little outdated now with some of the things, but um, I think it's it's a great first resource. Um, for me also, just like a lot of screenwriting stuff was great for just learning how to write. Um, I really, obviously 3X structure is, you know, a big thing in almost every story. Um, but I also really like, I mentioned earlier, Save the Cat. Um, I don't use it as a formula. I use it more as, um, do I have all the pieces in place in my story? I kind of, and a lot of those things become second nature to you. Um, but I use it to see like, okay, why isn't this working? Is it because I don't have, you know, this tease here? I have nothing, you know, no, uh, mid, uh, mid reversal or something, you know? Um, so it kind of just helps me like get my stories into better shape. Yeah. And piggybacking off of uh, what Julio was saying, I think Brian offers a, a class through Portland University that he teaches as well, which um, I don't know if you have to be in person for that in this virtual world. Maybe you don't. So that's something to sort of look into. I believe he teaches it with David Walker, although I think David Walker's on yeah. hiatus right now. But I think Brian and, and, and uh, I can't remember actually who he's co-teaching it with anymore. But uh, but there's that. Um, another book in terms of uh, things that help you when you have a story working, but you know it's not quite 100% there yet, you're not quite sure, but um, Robert McKee's book Story actually is, a, is, I found really helpful for stuff like that. I, I generally find screenwriting books not that helpful when it's a blank page in front of you, because then you'll just get in your head about like, well, the book told me to do this, and the book told me to do that. But once you have something out there, this sort of you know unsculpted, unrefined thing, a lot of these books, Save the Cat being one of them, Robert McKee's Story being another, I found very helpful to be like, oh, this is why this only feels like it's kind of working and not fully working. And it helps you articulate a lot of those, uh, yeah. a lot of those ideas I find anyway. I also have, I have two more things that I'd, I'd recommend. Um, one, uh, Scott Snyder has a comic book writing class. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, which, which, and like, this is, this is also like something I think is important for people. Um, I'm published. I've written a few books already. Uh, I still know that I don't know a lot. 
Um, so like I'm taking his writing class right now. Cool. Um, and it's super helpful. It's super cheap. It's like seven bucks a month or something. Um, and you get the whole, you know, library of all of the classes that he's done already over like the last six months. Um, it's on Substack. Uh, I definitely recommend that. Um, but something I thought about when you were talking about like ideas and how these, these writing books are more so about refining what you have, but they don't give you the ideas. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, um, like one of my creative, uh, I don't know, like heroes or North stars is David Lynch. Um, mm. And I, I love his films. I love just like his attitude about creativity and making art. Um, and one of the things that he talks about a lot um, is is making sure that you have room to dream these ideas. Yeah. You know, it sounds a little corny, but, um, you know, he sees ideas as these things that just exist out there and they're just waiting for you to find them, you know? Um, and, you know, it, that it's kind of like a more spiritual way of talking about it that yeah. I don't necessarily buy into. Um, but I do think there's certain things like, you know, there's things in the zeitgeist that are out there, right? Every once in a while you see the same idea prop up in a bunch of different mediums at the same time, you know? Um, but I think it's important to give yourself space to just think about things, to engage in other material that's not just yeah. comics. If you want to be a comic book writer, um, you know, watch TV shows, read novels, you know, um, just engage with the world in a way where you see that, oh, maybe there's an angle here where I can use it to talk about something that's important to me, that means something to me. Um, you know, a lot of my mini comics were about, um, and home also, uh, about things that just like made me angry, you know, and trying to find a way to wrestle with that um, in a unique way and in a way that maybe puts it in front of people and makes them think about it in a way that they hadn't before. Um, but a lot of that is really me just sitting down and just thinking about the idea and imagining what if I open this door? What if I open that door? And I just let myself go in all these directions that might seem crazy at the time. And 90% of them don't work and are too crazy. But then you might find some of them that do work and that you hadn't thought about. Um, and I think it's just giving yourself like being vulnerable to, to going in different directions and ideas. Yeah, I mean, the whole creative colleague thing is such an interesting process. I was just watching the cartoonist KFAB YouTube channel and they have a interview with Brian K. Vaughn. And mm -hmm. Brian apparently does a two and a half hour walk every day. And it's wow. just him, just like he takes his dog out and he just goes out for a walk. He doesn't have a notebook with him. He doesn't take any notes down. He uses a process I call idea Darwinism, which is just basically you think stuff and the stuff that you remember is the stuff that's worth remembering. And if you don't re remember it, it wasn't. it's not wasn't worth, worth remembering. It. And so he has this great story, actually, of like Saga. He has Saga planned out to like 108 issues and mm -hmm. none of it's written down. But it, but and so he tells his wife, just like, if I get hit by a car, this is how the <laughs> book will end. And then every couple of months, he'll be like, he'll quiz his wife and he'll be like, no, you got it wrong. People care about this. People care about this. So, um, so yeah, but that's, but that's oh, it, his, his. But, but Stephen King talks about the and I, I, I picked it up from, uh, from, you know, Stephen King has a great book called writing. writing. I'm just going to sell mm -hmm. books here, apparently, but, um, Stephen King's Bite book called writing. Yeah. By its skylight. Um, <laughs> but he talks, he talks a lot. I know, writing. right. <laughs> he talks a lot about just like the, the, the help of the, the good help of walk can kind of give, I know Aaron Sorkin takes like six showers a day to kind of, <laughs> there's something about like that, that motor, you know, doing something, yeah. some ba basic motor uh, skills, which kind of jog ideas. 
Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, but but all that sort of stuff. Just kind of I, the thing I also love about King's book too, and I know a lot of writers have talked about it. Is it's also a great philosophy about writing that he mm-hmm. that 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 he that he offers his his whole concept of your writing desk belongs in the corner of your office and not the center of your office as a metaphor for how it's it's place in your life. I think is also really great mm-hmm. as, as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and also too. Uh, do I have I I might have a copy. Okay, my my last plug, I guess, it would be uh, Understanding <laughs> Comics by mm-hmm. Scott McCloud, uh, which is also you just can't talk about like writing comics without. And also, it's like it's a book that's now taught in like film classes because it's just such a good way of talking yeah. about you know visual storytelling. Definitely. I'll also plug the book Home. Um, <laughs> everyone should buy it. <laughs> My segue. <laughs> Yay. It's incredible. And and Porn Sex um, book is books as well. Uh yeah. Infidel, oh, yeah. Good Asian Volume One is out, right? Yes, oh. Good Asian Volume One is out. I will plug Infidel only first because it is I do like Julio mentioned, I do have the the pitch that I this we did a sixteen page pitch packet and that so the entire sixteen page pitch packet is in the back of the book. So you can actually see what a, a pitch pitch looks like. My latest book out is The Good Asian, volume one. Volume two comes out in May, yeah, May, mid-May. And I will be including, I think it's gonna be a regular thing now for my image books is that in a, the concluding volume, if it's more than one volume, I will include the entire pitch, the pitch mm, packet that I'm got excited that to book see greenlit. That. And just so that, because you can go online and find a lot of scripts. The actual pitches are a lot harder to find. And so when I was pitching mine, I went, as a former comic book editor, I could go, I had friends in the industry and I could go to them and be like, what did yours, you know, what did you do? So like, I got my pitch packet. I know the writers, Jody Lehup and Sebastian Gurner had a book called uh, uh, Shirtless Bear Fighter. And I pulled from their pitch document quite a bit to sort of make my pitch document. And it's one of those things that I feel like is a little less out there in the world. And, and hopefully it's a tool, you know, I, I wanted to kind of make it a tradition so that you kind of, you know, I like the idea of open source storytelling so that, you know, once I'm done with my stories, I leave, the, I leave my homework there for people to find in terms of how I did it so they can, mm-hmm. you know, go about their own paths to do it. Uh, but yeah, so that, yes, if you're interested in that pitch document, that will be in the second volume of The Good Asian and what the pitch packet looked like for Infidel is in the, in the back of that. Um, Thank you both so much for being here. I also want to mention to everyone who's watching that this is recorded, um, so feel free to share it uh, at the same link or come back and watch it again. Um, Buy the book from Skylight or at the very least from your independent bookstore. Um, We appreciate you a lot (laughs) for being here. Um, And a big thank you to Julio and Pornsack for that incredible uh, conversation. Thank Thank you. you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.